Hey, y'all. From NPR, it's been a minute. I'm Sam Sanders. Every Tuesday, I bring you a conversation. Today, we are talking about a show I like, a show that I think you might like, too. It's called The Bold Type. If you haven't heard of it, go check it out. It's a TV show on Freeform. Uh, it's all about three young women living and working in New York City, trying to make it in the Big Apple. Now, let me stop you because I know what you're thinking right now. You are thinking that you have already seen this show before, several times. Young women in great clothes, living in impossibly amazing apartments, taking New York by storm. But the show, it's more than that. The bold type is, in this very refreshing way, deep. The characters on this show have honest and believable conversations about race and politics and sex. They go there. I talked to two folks from The Bold Type in this chat, Amanda Lasher, she is the showrunner, and Aisha D. she plays Kat on the show. They both joined me in studio at NPR West in Culver City, uh, and right off the bat, I started off by making a mistake, uh, but forgive me and enjoy the listen. I feel like I'm still kind of waking up because I flew in yesterday. From? I flew in from Montreal. That's where you guys taped the show. Yeah, that's where we that's where we filmed. And I, I wrapped at 2 a.m. and then was up at 5 a.m. and then came here and attempted to sleep last night. But I got caught watching uh, Nanette. Oh, It's really good. It's so good. But then it like turns and you're like, oh, it got dark. Yeah, I was like sitting in bed like... Just feeling all my feelings, and then I and then I started just reading about her, and I, I you know, you know when that happens. Oh and yeah, you, you have... fall down the hole. Yeah, and then before you know it, mm-hmm. you know the names of this person's third cat. Yeah, I loved her on um, Please Like Me. What's that? It's an Australian show by Josh Thomas. We should point out to our listeners, she's Australian. Oh yeah, my accent's well, real go, messed up. Uh, so you're darting back and forth. <laughs> yeah. I'm like hearing American. I'm hearing Australian. I guess you picked up some Montrealese. I do say bonjour. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. Where are you from? I'm from here, actually. L.A.? Yep. Where in L.A.? Uh, the West Side, Palisades. You know, sometimes if there's three people, our listeners are like, which voice is which? So we should say clearly, Aisha D sounds like this. Well, I do sound like this, but I have to say, my name is pronounced wrong. Wait, tell my, me. Uh, my, my, Aisha. <laughs> so, Aisha or Aisha? My mom is a very sweet white Australian woman and I'm pretty sure she looked at my name in the baby book and the baby name book and kind of decided how she wanted to pronounce it. How so did she it's, want to pronounce it's it? like Aisha, like Rosacea. Aisha. Um, <laughs> like Rosacea, okay. Echinacea. <laughs> okay. Um, Aisha like Rosacea. Your yeah. voice sounds like that. Amanda Lasher. <laughs> Amanda. Wait, there's, there's a different pronunciation. <laughs> Straight from your name. up Amanda. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amanda sounds like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know the show quite well. I've binged it. But for our listeners, I want one or the both of you to tell us what the show is about in 30 seconds. Go. Oh, why'd you point at me? Uh, okay, I always say this, but I feel like it's kind of like sitting down with an issue of Cosmo or mm. a similar magazine, okay. you know, because it kind of covers all the bases sex, love relationships um, New York career New York yeah. friendship you know yeah, yeah. high yeah. heels it is these it, it's it's set around these three young women yeah. who all work for a women's magazine called Scarlet mm-hmm. they're all in their early to mid 20s and they're trying to rise up the ranks at Scarlet while also navigating life in New York as young 20 somethings yeah uh, I remember when it first came out a lot of the reviews said we can't believe it. We actually like this show. And I think that that's like a kind of a way, because you do judge it on its surface. You're like, oh, come on. 
Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I found myself even starting to watch the show. Someone at work mentioned watching it. I think it showed up on Hulu. And I was like, okay, I'll watch this. And then I was like, why do I like it this much? (laughs) Why do folks go into a show like this with lowered expectations? And why are they being surprised by how much they like it? Well, I think that they think it's just about, you know, girls and fashion. And so it's going to be light and fluffy. Mm -hmm. And then I think that the show has an unexpected layer of depth. And also I think that... We really try to dig into the real of things because a lot of times these awkward situations or these challenging issues have, um, they're funny too. You know what I mean? Like they, there's like a fun comfortability to them. And so I think if we dig into the real of that and also just the humanity of mucking your way through some of these issues, that itself makes it less didactic because there are those really like humane, like, yeah. or like moments of humanity yeah. in that. I'm hearing you say this, and I can think in my mind of several examples throughout Mm. the two seasons of the show. What's your favorite example of what you just talked about, this getting to the real but also being funny about it? Um, Oh, gosh. I always, like, blank. I'm always just thinking about the one episode that, like, we're working on at that moment. But I would say just being here with Aisha, the moment that (laughs) pops into my head is... In 205, which was the episode that we did where... Season 2, episode 5. Season 2, where we talked about in white privilege and um, and privilege in general, uh, where uh, the character Jane is, is having a challenge, has like a challenging conversation with Aisha's character about race. And um, she realizes that she needs to sort of examine her white privilege. And she has this moment where she doesn't know where to begin. And so she, she just Googles like, <laughs> how do... <laughs> How do I examine my white privilege? Just like the basic, like where, like where do I begin with that journey? Exactly, exactly. Um, and we should set this up. So Jane is uh, a character on the show, and she has applied for a job as a young white woman, only to find out that they're going to go with someone else because they want a diverse hire. Mm-hmm. She expresses her frustration to your character, who is a black character on the show, Aisha, and you're like, "Girl, check yourself." <laughs> I didn't get a job that I was perfect for because I'm white. I was just stating a fact. But how do you know that whoever did get the job wasn't more perfect? The fact that you assume they only got it because of some diversity handout it makes you sound entitled. And coming from someone who lives in their parents' loft and has never paid a bill in their entire life, it's well, pretty rich. <laughs> It's actually not about me, though. Okay. Do you know what happens to me if I leave here and get hit by a cab? Because with no insurance, no money, crazy student debt, and no help from my dad, I sure as hell don't. So, yeah, excuse me for being pissed that I didn't get a job that I know I can do because of something completely out of my control. Welcome to the entire existence of people of color, Jane. What did you bring to that conversation as someone who is a person of color? Well, I, I mean, the thing that I love about this show and that I've honestly never experienced quite on this scale is uh, the level of collaboration. Uh, and, you know, I was able to kind of bring my perspective to that. I know, like, as an actress in recent years, my white friends are finding it kind of challenging and expressing that... As in, like, getting roles. Yeah, you know, like, a lot of my white friends are saying, well, I, you know, I... I went in for this audition and, you know, they went diverse. And I'm like, okay, but... Well, you do know for, like, decades. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, the other way around. I've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, I, especially in Australia, I experienced a lot of casting directors would tell me, you know, you're probably not going to get it. Uh, it's not, 
we're, we don't want to go diverse. Uh, I was hmm. told by casting directors to move to America because I would probably Whoa. work more. Yeah. Is that why you moved it is, to yeah. America? Okay. Yeah, but uh, it's that conversation with Jane is one that I've had You've in had my... before. Yeah, so it, it felt really real. You know, when I first wanted to do the episode, I wanted to call it White Woman's Tears because... <laughs> <laughs> okay. We um, say you're white. <laughs> yes. And uh, just because I think that that right there gets in the way of the conversation is that, you know, the whole thing of, like, having to deal with white fragility and, and not being able to have these conversations and those conversations getting shut down immediately and... It's just, and everybody has very deep personal experiences that they bring to the table, and so we wanted to. So that one was that one was really challenging, but gratifying ultimately that we did it. All right, time for a quick break. When we come back, Asia, Amanda, and I talk more about race and diversity in the writers' room at the Bull Type, BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time, but Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discovery makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you can check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. Planning a transportation vacation with kids this summer? Well, remember to pack the wow in the world. I'm Mindy Thomas, and together with my buddy Guy Raz, we've got over 60 episodes for your family road trip adventures. New scientific discoveries in knuckle-cracking, exploding ants, and burping black holes. Find wow in the world wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk more about your character Kat's um, journey of racial revelation. There is an episode where uh, Kat's character, who has grown up with a black father and a white mother, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, when she's, what, like 24, 25, mm-hmm. has a moment where she's like, well, what am I? I <laughs> yeah. should examine this. Yeah. What's up with this? <laughs> Lay out that episode for us. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh... I was so happy when I read the episode that we were even going to go there because... Because uh, in season one, they didn't In season there. one, we didn't, and I, I was very surprised when Wait. Kat was arrested by the police, and she was like, police are dangerous? I was like, what is <laughs> so wrong So did you with have some problems girl? with the way that Kat's character did or didn't deal with race in the first season? Did you yeah. push back and want for more? Yeah, and I mean, I grew up in a part of Australia that wasn't very diverse and I didn't always love what I saw in the mirror. I didn't, and your mother is white. Your my mother is white. My father is black. I grew up with only the white side of my family okay. in a town where like when you see another black person across the street you'd like wave. You'd be like really? oh my god what's <laughs> up? <laughs> what are you doing here? Um, and and that's, a, that's a real thing. Uh, yeah. In Australia in the 90s totally a real thing. Yeah. So you know, for me, it was something that I had to learn on my own. And luckily, I had a mother who really, you know, when I would come home saying I was getting teased or whatever at school, she would say, well, you know, they're just jealous because they don't know, like, you come from kings and queens Mm -hmm. and you were royalty Mm -hmm. and you are powerful and your hair defies gravity. And she was like, and your skin is amazing. And like, woke mom. Oh, my God. And (laughs) she exposed me to music and movies that empowered me in in ways that at the time I didn't realize how much it was uh, influencing me, you know, mm. like listening to 
Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. uh, Mahalia Jackson, Natalie Cole. She would give me movies like Cleopatra Jones and Coffee. And Pam Greer is one of my heroes, yeah. you know. Uh, watching those movies was like therapy for me. So hmm. it's it's probably a big reason why I, I love to do this yeah. as well. One of the questions I had with this episode, yeah. your character Kat has this moment of biracial revelation when she's in her mid-20s. Mm. And I said to myself, well, all of my biracial friends who I know well, they had that moment when they were like 12. <laughs> was true. it weird to have her have this moment of like existential questioning that late in her life? Yeah, but you know, to me it fit because she's having these revelations about her sexuality late too. Yes, she's also, I don't want to put a label on it when I shouldn't. She you know is... what? I don't think she's actually fully labeled herself yet. She's used a few different labels. Yes. And I she's think the been one with that boys, most. She's been with girls. Yeah, I think the one that most fits is queer right okay. now. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's what's so amazing about this character to me is that you get to be on this journey with her. She's not yeah. saying, I'm, I'm in my 20s, but I have it all figured out. So, speaking of how Kat is perhaps delayed in having some of these moments of self discovery, there is this moment where her black coworker, Alex confronts her about race and basically is like, girl, what are you thinking? You haven't figured this out yet? We actually have the cut right here. Mm-hmm. Well, see, the key is to add as much detail as possible. Okay. Like, you could add the fact that you're black. It'll read something like, Kat Edison is Scarlet Magazine's first black female department head. See, that sounds impressive. Yeah, it's also irrelevant. You know, I'm a department head. That has nothing to do with the color of my skin. Okay... It's a big part of who you are. Yeah, but I'm also part white. No one asked me to write that down. Not the same thing, but okay. Uh, Any other suggestions? Yeah, Kat, you have this really cool opportunity to be a role model for young black girls. Don't you want that? Why would you ask me that? Of course I want that. But I want it regardless of my race, not because of it. It's what's on the inside that matters. But you're black on the inside too, Kat. Oh, really? Are you, are you questioning my blackness right now? You can because, hear Alex uh, being like, what? What is are wrong you, with you? What is... <laughs> <laughs> no, have you hard. felt, have you heard black people in your life talk to you with that level of, what? Uh, you don't? Yeah. yeah, totally. Talk to me about that. Uh, well, I mean, you grow up and your, your blackness is always... Uh, kind of an issue or, or, or a topic of conversation. Um, you know, growing up in Australia, it was a different type of conversation. You know, it was uh, it was it was either a cool, a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. I was so cool because mm-hmm. I was black or I was so not cool. And I was <laughs> but but there was always a, a judgment, you know, how black I am or, you yeah. know, wh- what category I fit into. And then uh, when I got to America, it was all of a sudden I was called an Aria and I was like, what's an Aria? <laughs> <laughs> I love cookies. And I, I was like, what does that mean? Aria. And I remember people would laugh and laugh and laugh. And I, you know, I, I, I get it obviously now because I've done a lot of like searching, but that was kind of part of the reason why I was like, you know, it's okay that Kat doesn't have this figured out. And it's almost kind of great because hmm. we don't often have this conversation yeah uh and but yeah no it's it's always been a more it's always seemed more important to other people you know uh to to categorize you 
Yeah. You know, and yeah. put you in a box. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, Kat feels that way. I obviously have a very different um, upbringing to her, so I was always very aware of my blackness. Yeah. Because it was pointed out to me constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, it definitely changed the interactions or it, it influenced a lot of my interactions mm-hmm. as, a, as a kid. I want to talk about another way in which your character defies labels in a certain uh, way. And this is for both of you guys, you know. Kat's character is queer, and she is experiencing a relationship with a woman for the first time. This woman happens to be a Muslim woman who is also a lesbian. She wears a hijab. That's another layer of stuff to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you approach writing and running the show with such a complex plotline? you got a biracial (laughs) queer woman experiencing love with a woman for the first time, but that woman also happens to be a hijabed Muslim lesbian who is suffering political persecution <laughs> in her home country. So many layers. <laughs> yeah. um, with with Kat and Adina in that particular relationship, we just wanted to, again, make it as specific to who they are as people. And and while those elements are, you know, definitely factor into their life and we um, address it in different ways, we didn't want them to be completely defined by those things. Hmm. And so it's ultimately a love story between two women who find each other and connect and Kat discovers a different side of herself through Adina. And that is just a human story that everybody can relate to and and so we wanted to 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 go deeper with that and then in terms of the you know the muslim aspect and the and all the things that we're talking about with race it's like there are times when we we dip into that aspect but we too we do try to stay with the core human love story of cat and adina yeah you are making this show that speaks to a lot of different types of people and is diverse in a very modern way. How diverse is the writer's room? (laughs) Well, we have a diverse writer's room. Um, We have Latina women. We have queer writers. We have African-American writers. We have... We have as many, uh, we wanted to bring in lots of different voices yeah. to, um, yes, we do. We have a uh, token straight white man <laughs> who has the soul of an incredibly talented writer, um, Matt McGinnis, who has the soul of a woman. He um, he has three daughters, five sisters, and he's just, okay. you know, uh, but yeah. the more, the different backgrounds are what's fascinating, and, and I love that. Yeah. And it's also where we get stories from, and it's it keeps the show having energy and and um yeah one more quick break here i'm talking with aisha d an actress on the freeform tv show the bold type and amanda lasher the showrunner of the bold type also listeners heads up here this next section contains some explicit discussion about sex if you are listening with kids you should be aware of that Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. 
Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch. With the drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features, join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Did cutting taxes actually grow the economy? And what makes DJ Khaled the king of pop music? The Indicator, a daily podcast where we tackle the big economic questions. Has there been a moment in the writer's room where you've said, as the one in charge, Mm -hmm. this scene, this episode, the topics discussed, the people discussed, it's out of my wheelhouse. You, other writer who has that experience, you're in charge of this one. Well, always. I mean, we're, I'm always asking for, you know, the writers to to vet things. Yeah. And um, I we did a storyline about Kat had never uh, gone down on a woman before. Uh, and yeah. so, you know, I'd watched the show as a viewer the first season and, and Kat and Adina had this conversation where Kat's like, I could never go there yeah. in talking about going down on a woman. And and so when we were talking about storylines for season two, and I thought, I, I, I want to see that. I want to see that moment happen. I want to see that. What is that like for her? And that was really interesting to me. Um, but I definitely wanted the queer writers especially to sort of talk about their experiences that and then also what they didn't want to see. On t- you know, and one mm. of the things what that they, not see? they don't want to see the cutaway. They didn't. It's like they talked about mm-hmm. how many times they watched queer couples having sex or kissing or something like that and then all of a sudden it would go soft focus or it would cut uh, away and I felt very strongly that like when I heard I was like oh yeah that's a hundred percent you are right you do not see that as mm-hmm. much and and especially you know this age group so this scene we're going to play right now uh Kat and Adina are having a conversation about something sexual that Adina needs from Kat Kat it's okay we're still new to this I I didn't want to push you to do something that you weren't ready to do or didn't want to. Oh, no, no, no. It is not that. I'm so attracted to you. But I guess I was a little uh, worried and scared. Well, of course, it's, um, it's kind of lingus. The last frontier. Where no man has gone before. You know, Kat, it's not even the act that matters. It's you and me being able to have these conversations. Talking about it is the most intimate thing. And that's, that's what I should have said at the party. This is what matters. I know. I would say doing it's the most intimate thing, but okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what I appreciate about this scene is yeah. that so often when you see lesbians on screen, they're just like, lesbians. Mm-hmm. And they all think the same way and do the same thing and go to Ikea on the second date and that's it. <laughs> and, Ikea. and to have an episode and a plot arc where you're seeing two women who like women who are at different places in spite of that thing, mm-hmm. I appreciated that. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I loved about it was just the fact that it's it's really it's a conversation about asking for what you want from a relationship. Which is a good thing to do. Which is such a great thing. And you know we don't do that enough in as women yeah. whether we're in a heterosexual relationship or in a queer relationship we aren't really taught how to ask for what we want and to say this is what i need from you mm-hmm. uh whether it's in the bedroom or just emotionally um 
whether you are a queer person or a person of color or not, there's something to take away from that scene. Totally. Yeah, speaking of these relationships between two women, that is one relationship between two women on the show. But another relationship that is a big part of the entire show is a relationship between Jane, one of the young women on the show. She's a young writer at Scarlet Magazine. Uh, Her relationship with Jacqueline, who is the editor-in-chief of Scarlet. I want to spend a few minutes unpacking that relationship because I have questions. Um, (laughs) I call them Jane Quillen. Jane Quillen. Jane like Quillen. That. Jane That's Quillen. Ship yeah. name. So Jacqueline <laughs> is like the big boss of this women's magazine. She is legendary. She is iconic. She is dressed to the nines all the time. Uh, but she mentors the three of them, but especially Jane. What were you trying to channel in that older woman, younger woman relationship? You as a showrunner. Um, I did not... Uh, you didn't yeah. create it. Yeah, I didn't create it. And yes. that was, um, Sarah Watson created that uh, character and that dynamic, and it's so beautiful, and I love it so much. And um, the thing that I love about uh, Jacqueline and Jane is just the way that it's different from anything that you've ever seen before, and that it, it goes against the trope of just the... Devil wears Prada. The, yeah, and the bitchy boss. And, like, we've all had horrible, horrible bosses. And then, but then, like, you don't see the the boss who's actually a mentor and who wants to be a role model and who wants to, you know, help young women rise up with them. And I love that. That's the thing, though. Sometimes I would watch episodes and I would say, Jacqueline's too nice. Mm. I am not used to seeing executives at that level being that nice to someone that junior. Mm-hmm. Also, the way in which Jacqueline is intimately involved with Jane's career. What editor-in-chief edits line by line the piece from a junior, 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 junior staffer. Are there ever moments or is there even (laughs) feedback from folks saying, this would not happen? I think that's valid. Yeah. But I think the show is aspirational. Okay. Explain. Uh, Well, I mean, okay, I do not wake up looking how I look on the show. I will (laughs) say that right now. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and I I don't walk around in amazing, expensive clothes, and I I don't know many people who do. And, uh, you know, as soon as they call cut, we're all taking our heels off and putting on Crocs. Yeah. Like, so so I, I don't know. At least to me, there's a level of the show that is aspirational, and I think that having this perfect boss is kind of one of those aspects to me as a viewer because I consider myself a fan of the show too you know yeah. I love watching um what was filmed while I wasn't yeah. there you know yeah um did you mm-hmm. Amanda in your 20s have a boss at that level who was that nice to you um yeah I did actually okay, I who had was it? I had a boss her name uh was Maya Thomas and right. I was Shout an intern Maya. Where? Shout out to Maya <laughs> Time Warner audiobooks okay and she just was incredibly kind and mentoring to me and supportive. And I used to write these like ridiculously long memos to her uh-huh. explaining anytime I made a mistake. And she'd be like, you don't need to do this. Yeah. You don't need to yeah. apologize constantly. Yeah. And um, she was fantastic. Yeah. And then I've had people who've been absolutely terrible. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I mean, that exists as well. There are Jacklins out there, but then there are lots of non-Jacklins. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had my Jacklins and I've had my non-Jacklins too. I think it's okay. um, 
Yeah. Is Amanda your Jacqueline? Amanda is one of my Jacquelines, actually. I don't, I don't deign to be as majestic as uh, Jacqueline, but I do. <laughs> um, but I do. I am conscious of the fact that that I am a woman in charge and that I am somebody that people look to, mm-hmm. and so. I think about when I was coming up as a writer mm-hmm. that I didn't see a lot of women with families doing, you know, running shows. Mm-hmm. I saw I saw it here and there. Um, but, you know, I make a point to I bring my my kids by the office. Really? I, How old are they? I have two daughters, Anna and Tessa. Mm-hmm. Anna's 10 and Tessa's 6. Yeah. They'll be very happy that I mentioned them. Um, <laughs> and, um, and you know, I want PAs and writer assistants and people coming up to see that, like, this, you can do this. Like, you don't have to have this part of your life be this secret other thing. And you can, you know, be a showrunner and you can be a leader and you can and have a family and, and, and it's it's messy and it's not always easy and it's complicated and um but that it can be done and so that's really important for me in thinking about how to foster a strong mentoring relationship between an older woman and a younger woman like what is the one biggest impediment to establishing the kind of relationship that Jacqueline has with Jane on the show I mean this doesn't have necessarily to do with you know youth or is just creating a space where people can feel like they can that they can uh, speak and without being judged. And so mm. in a writer's room especially, like, you have to pitch some really bad ideas sometimes <laughs> to get to the good ideas. And it's sometimes can be super easy to pile on or be dismissive or to shut somebody down or to tell somebody why that's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And for me, I try to, as much as possible, just not, like, to keep that out of the writer's room and to let people just, like, make the bad pitch and to say personal things and not mm-hmm. have to worry about being made fun of and you know all that stuff and that said you know I have a filthy sense of humor I <laughs> I you know like it, it's I love to mess around in the writer's room and tell stories and, and all that stuff but I do feel like you have to make it so that people don't feel like they're going to be attacked or criticized and that yeah, you know, and yes, and making sure that you're yes ending as much as possible. Can I work on the show? It's not like a great place to be. I'll be Door an extra. <laughs> I don't control that stuff, but yes, come aboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say one of the things that I find to be too perfect in this show mm-hmm. are these big old apartments these struggling young journalists have. <laughs> How is it that every show? that revolves around young people scrapping their way through New York City never has them in that janky fifth floor walk up. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Why are the apartments so nice? A few things. (laughs) Number one, I would like to point out that Sutton Uh has a bed in the living room. Of of a very nice apartment. (laughs) She doesn't have her own room. There's a bed in the living room. I would like to point out okay. that Kat has parents who pay for a nice place for well, her. Well, there's that. Yes. It's not always easy to get a camera into a super tiny, <laughs> tiny little apartment yeah. to shoot it. Um, fair enough. You know, but again, what like what age? It's aspirational. It's asp- it is I don't want to see the janky like, apartment. Yeah, sometimes. we all know what it's like to live in the apartment like I had in New York, where I l- could lay in bed and stretch out my arms and legs and touch all the walls. <laughs> I could literally like. <laughs> Hands on flat on walls. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's it's aspirational. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch it. Many thanks to Aisha D and Amanda Lasher for coming into NPR West to talk with me about the show, The Bold Type. The final episode of the second season of that show airs on Freeform tonight. 
You can catch all of season one and season two of The Bold Type online in the streaming places. You know how it goes. All right. Also, listeners want to hear from you. Every week for our long distance segment, we call someone out in the world and talk with them about what's happening in their neck of the woods. If you got a story to share on or off the news about whatever, email me and tell me why we should talk. I'm at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. We might call you. You might be on the podcast. You could be on the radio. All right, that's a wrap. We're back in your feeds on Friday. Until then, talk soon. Talk soon.